19, the first two verses. We're going to look uh, at the majority of this chapter tonight. Um, keep your Bibles open. I would, I would encourage you always, I know we put verses on the screen here in the sanctuary, but I would always encourage you to bring your copy of God's Word because um, I don't always put every verse, and sometimes it may, you may want to look back at a previous verse or an upcoming verse or something like that. Tonight's going to be one of those nights where... Um, Due to time constraints, I'm not going to uh, put every verse, but sometimes I'm going to just kind of reference several verses. So if you keep your Bibles open, you can glance and see what I'm referencing. So Revelation chapter 19, uh, the first two verses tonight as we continue to study about revealing Jesus as our champion. And we're really going to get uh, into seeing that uh, tonight. So look at Revelation chapter 19, the first two verses. After these things, and these things have been a lot, right? Everybody say a lot. It's been a lot (laughs) going on after these things, uh, which typically when when John writes that, that means there's a shift, and there's going to be a shift tonight. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Uh, And some of your translations will say, Alleluia. Some of your translations will say, Hallelujah. It's the same word, same meaning. Uh, Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So, uh, boy, I hadn't thought about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you let's do a little bit of crowd participation tonight, okay? This just kind of occurred to me just then. Uh, a little bit of participation. Uh, what are some great reasons to celebrate? And I'm going to do something pastors usually don't do. You can't give a spiritual reason right now. I'm going to do that in a minute. So let's talk about what are some really cool things. And don't try to be spiritual. We're not going to do spiritual. They don't say because of your salvation. I'm going to say that in a minute. All right, get that one for you. So what are some great what are some great reasons we have to celebrate in life? Just throw some out. Crawfishing, praise the Lord. Crawfish boils are great reasons to celebrate. I even have a T-shirt that says, "When life gives you lemons, boil crawfish." <laughs> One of my favorite t-shirts. Somebody else, what's a good reason to celebrate in life? So college sports, I meant to say college sports are out of bounds, okay? I know somebody's going to come up with Alabama, Auburn, and everybody wants to say LSU, so I'm not going to do that tonight. No college, no college sports, or no that kind of thing. Somebody said a birthday, right? In fact, I got a picture of somebody celebrating a happy birthday for you. Go ahead and show the picture of the happy birthday uh, if you want to. It's a a happy, happy birthday right there. If you go for a little more more high class, got a high class birthday celebration for you uh, with the the tie and everything. Those are the only two pictures I got for you. So anyway, a couple pictures for you tonight. Somebody else, what's another good reason to celebrate? Anniversaries, praise the Lord. Uh, who's been here married the longest here? Anybody here been married over 50 years? <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> Johnny, how many years, Johnny, if you don't mind me asking? 54. Charles? 56? 52. Somebody, how about that, right? Oh, wait a minute, I can miss Faye and Roy. How many? <laughs> 58. Well, that's reason to celebrate, amen? Give them a big hand clap of praise. We can celebrate that. Anybody else? Something that's, that's fun to celebrate or good reason to celebrate? Retirement. <laughs> and uh, those who are retired said, and those who aren't retired said, oh, me. <laughs> oh, me, rats. All right, somebody else. What's another good reason to celebrate? Graduations. We've had some number of graduations this year. Uh, somebody else. Another good reason to celebrate. 
Children and grandchildren, amen. Good, great reasons to celebrate. Somebody else, good reasons to celebrate. Having Katie Beth back home safely, if anybody wants to complain about anything in Washington, she had an internship in Washington, D.C., and uh, she is glad to hear all of your complaints. <laughs> she got a chance to answer some phones and hear some complaints, and uh, she can fix all of it now. She's learned how to do that, all right? We're grateful to have Katie Beth back home. That's a good reason to celebrate. Somebody else, there's a good reason to celebrate? Do what? Rain on the garden. Amen. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Anything else good to celebrate? Christmas time is a great reason to celebrate, isn't it? All right. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Thanksgiving's a good reason to celebrate. There you go. All right. All these are good reasons to celebrate. Family coming home after a long trip. Amen. Good reason to celebrate. Academic awards are good reasons to celebrate. All these kind of your uh, children having accomplishments are good reasons to celebrate. Uh, tonight, we know as followers of Jesus that being saved is the greatest reason to celebrate, right? Uh, it always bothers me when I hear, and I know that people get caught up in the moment, but when I hear someone who's once, especially if they're Christian, and they win some kind of an award, and they say, this is the best day of my life, and I realize they get caught up in the spur of the moment. I don't mean to be critical, but the best day of your life, even if it was when you were nine and it wasn't all that emotional, the best day of any of our lives is when we are saved. And of course, when we see our close friends and our family members get saved, those are tremendous reasons um, to celebrate. And we're going to see a huge celebration in Revelation chapter 19 tonight. And when there's a huge celebration, there's oftentimes music. We talked about birthdays and weddings and things like that. There's oftentimes music. And music plays a bigger part in Revelation than any other book of the New Testament. They're around 15, it's hard to know because they're not numbered. You can't turn to hymn number seven in the book of Revelation there. And some of them are fragments and, and sometimes it says they're saying when it sounds like a song, it's set up like a poem, which is usually a song, but somewhere around 15 songs in the book of Revelation. And so uh, music plays a huge role uh, in this book and worship oftentimes uh, has music as a big part of it. Um, and in Interesting in Revelation is that it's big worship time, a lot of worship songs, big worship role, and yet there are horrific things happening in the book. And what we're going to see tonight is the Revelation changes in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, from chapter 5 or 6 or so up till now, we've been going through an awful lot of stuff. In Revelation, we're talking about people being burned by, by the sun, uh, rivers being turned to blood, the oceans being turned to blood, trees dying, a third of the grass dying, people being killed because they won't give in uh, to the Antichrist. We're talking about massive, massive tragedies, massive events, 200 million demons let out uh, loose on the earth. I mean, there's just a horrific tragedies beyond anything that we can ever imagine. And yet when we get to chapter 19, it changes, all right? Right? This, is, this is kind of where we've been headed to, chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. This is where it really gets good because the darkness, listen, the darkness of the Antichrist oppression is removed by the brilliant light of the returning king. It's been dark. The time of the tribulation is a very, very dark time. And now the king is not only coming, but he's here. And we're going to see the king show up uh, tonight. Well, we like for it when the king shows up in our own life personally, right? And the king's going to show up on the earth one day. We're going to talk about that tonight. So I want to talk about 
three things about celebrating tonight. I'm going to talk about when we celebrate, there should be worship. We celebrate a warrior. And third thing, we celebrate a win, right? Worship, a warrior, and a win. First of all, there's worship. When we have real cause to celebrate, we worship. And we know that Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our worship. He's the one to be celebrated above anything and everything else. So look, if you will, in the first two verses. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And so I want to kind of go through this worship service. I want you to look at it because it's a, it's a powerful, powerful worship service. First thing I want to look at is some of the sounds. What would it sound like to be in this worship service? In verse 1, it says that it sounds like a roar. In verse 1, it says there's going to be a great shout, shouting. In verse 4, uh, some of your translations will say they were saying or they said. Other translations say they were crying out. Verse 6 talks about there's a shouting. Verse 10 says he fell, Jesus, I mean, John falls down on his face. This is no half-hearted worship service. This is no bland mouthing of words. This is no everybody sit there and be very quiet in your seats because we're all in church. This is all out, all out worship time. This is all out giving everything you've got all in uh, with everything that's in our heart. Worshiping Jesus, focusing on Christ. It's a loud, if I say loud. It's a loud worship service fixing to happen here. I used to, in fact, y'all know Brother Melvin Mordecai. I think I've told some of y'all this before, but, you know, we talk about having a quiet time. And uh, when I, one of the first things I remember about meeting Brother Melvin is uh, he was telling me we were talking about our times with the Lord, and he said, I was having my loud time with Jesus the other day. I said, you're doing what? He said, well, if people have a quiet time, I have a loud time. He said, I play music, I sing, I rejoice, I shout, you know. He said, I, I, I just, you know, sometimes it's quiet, but I, I tend to have a loud time. Maybe we ought to start having loud times with the Lord, right, instead of just quiet times. Maybe probably it should be a, a, a situation where there's both. But, I mean, when's the last time that you fell down at your feet before the Lord? Last time you shouted because you were so happy in Jesus. When the last time you cried out to God because of his goodness to you? This is, not, this is not crying out because you're sad. This is crying out because of Christ, because of who he is. And so this is all in worship, man. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to all that worship because there's... As good as worship, and I've been in some really good worship service, but as good a worship service as I've been in, I've never felt like it was quite enough. You know, the, my singing wasn't quite enough. My, you know, if I raised my hands or I knelt down or I put my face in the carpet or whatever, it seems like there's just a little something that I, I can't quite turn loose of, a little something I want to rejoice more. Uh, the singing's not quite enough. My heart's not quite enough. And there's some kind of constraint. And on this day... All the constraints are off, and we're going to be able to rejoice in the Lord our God like never, never before. This is no ordinary Sunday worship service, and there's a reason for that. This is no ordinary Sunday morning. <laughs> this is the coming of the great King, and we're going to see that as we walk through this. No timid worship service here. Now, notice who is doing the worship in here. 
Notice who's doing the worship in here. In verse 1, it says it sounds like a great multitude. Now, some people think that the great multitude, because of other uh, places in Scripture and in Revelation, that this is the believers that come out of the tribulation period. Um, that may be so. You wouldn't have to quibble about that, and I'll show you why in a moment. Uh, another one uh, that people that's worshiping here are the 24 elders. I believe the 24 elders represent God's people. Some people want to make a distinction that the 24 elders represent the church, the Christians, uh, but not the Old Testament believers. I think it represents believers of all times. 24, 12, New Testament, 12, Old Testament tribes and, uh, and apostles. So I feel like this is representing uh, people of all times. Also, it says it's a four living creatures, which is a high-ranking order of angelic beings. Angels have rank. The four living creatures are the nearest to the throne. They're probably the highest-ranking angels that we have. Verse 5, there's a voice that commands worship. Some people think this is God's voice that commands worship, but it seems to me it's more of maybe one of the highest ranking angels there is because it would be odd for God to say, you know, worship God, or he would say, worship me, you know? And so this sounds like to me uh, another high ranking angel hollering out, worship the Lord. And then in verse five, this is what kind of puts it all down for us. In verse five, it says what? All his servants are to worship him. All of his servants to worship him. That means all Old Testament believers, all New Testament believers, everybody coming out of the tribulation. And I believe it includes uh, the angels and all of that. And when it says it's going to have the sound of many waters, sound of many waters, don't think Conecuh River, think Niagara Falls. The idea of sound of many waters is it's really loud and really musical. Okay, and the cool thing about this is it's going to be really loud music and nobody's going to have their ears hurt. <laughs> Amen. I went to a church one time on a vacation and uh, they had a box of, of earplugs at the back for people that didn't like the music quite so loud. You could get some earplugs. And so I told Laura, I was like, man, I'm going to grab a set of those because I don't want my ears hurt. But it really wasn't, you know, wasn't that loud at all anyway. But how about this? Got, I feel like it's going to be that roar where you just feel the praise and worship of God all through your being. Not just entering into your ears, but it's actually coming in through your heart, through your, the whole being that you have, musical and loud. Can you imagine all the same and all the angels of God joining together to worship Him? I cannot imagine what kind of day that's going to be to shout and sing and worship in the presence of Jesus Himself. Some of us have been in some pretty awesome services, haven't we? Some of you teenagers have been in services where hundreds of teenagers have just with voices and hands and hearts just cried out to God, worship God, loud worship to the Lord. Some of you ladies have been to a ladies' worship service where hundreds of ladies joined their voices. I, I, I've not been to that, but I would imagine that's beautiful. Hundreds of ladies just singing to the Lord. I've been to some of you guys have been to some where hundreds of men, and I, I can remember a couple of times where they turned the music off and you have hundreds of men singing a cappella. And believe it or not, it sounded beautiful. <laughs> just beautiful as voices rose to praise the Lord. But as good as those are, they don't have a candle to this one. Don't hold anything uh, to this. Look in Revelation chapter 19, verse 4, and let's talk about some, a couple of the words they use here. Verse 4, the 24 elders 
And the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. The word hallelujah uh, is one of those words where this is not translated, it's transliterated, which means you just take the Hebrew letters and put them into English. Uh, the word hallelujah is the same in any language because they just take the letters and put them into that language. The word hallelujah means praise the Lord. The only time this word shows up in the New Testament is in Revelation chapter 19. I was shocked by that. It doesn't seem right to me, but it's the only time, hallelujah. And it shows up in Psalms uh, 24, 25 times, depending on the, how you kind of count it out. But it means praise the Lord, and a lot of times, especially in Psalms, it's not just somebody saying, I'm praising the Lord. It's, people, it's the psalmist saying, let's all praise the Lord. It's a call to worship. It's like Rhonda standing up at the beginning and saying, hey, let's all stand up and let's praise the Lord. You can just say, let's hallelujah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it means, to focus on the Lord. Um, I was reading the day I was studying this message. One of the days I was working on this message, my quiet time that morning was Hebrews, I mean, Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which leads me to the second word, which is Amen. Amen, hallelujah. The word amen means, okay, Lord, they've, they've praised God for his power, for his majesty, for his might. Amen says, bring it on. <laughs> Make it happen. That's why we say amen at the end of the prayer. It's not a signal to let everybody know we're through. <laughs> amen means, yes, Lord, bring it on. Make it happen. We're putting our, our yes, Lord, to what we've just said. And so the idea, especially with this, with this, with this passage, these are present tense verbs. Keep on celebrating. Keep on praising the Lord. Look at verse 2, and it tells you why. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. It's not just sheer power, but justice. It's, and it's not power out of covetousness. It's not power out of, out of lust for power. It's not power just to be admired. It is he's rendering, he's avenging on the great harlot the blood of his servants. In other words, they have spilled the blood of his saints. They have spilled the blood of God's people. And now he's avenging that blood upon them. The reasons, the reasons for this glorious outpouring of praise is God's righteous victory over his enemies. It's because of his eternal communion with his people forever. Now, it seems odd that there would be great rejoicing because people are being put to death. It seems odd that there's great rejoicing because people are being removed. But here's the thing. When you've got people that are trafficking other people, that are beating other people, that are abusing other people, that are murdering other people, you can't have a good place. For you to have joy, for you to have eternal peace, for us to have eternal love, communion, and a place called heaven, evil has to be removed. And God has given them over and over. There was even an angel. We're not exactly sure exactly what that means, but at one point in Revelation, an, 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 an eagle or an angel is flying over the air proclaiming the gospel. They've had the two witnesses that died and was raised back to life. They've got 144,000 probably Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel. So it's not like God's done everything he can to save them. He said over and over and over, time and time again, come to me, come to me. And they have refused and they're Comes a day when the refusal is final. 
And when you die without Christ or you are unregenerate whenever Christ comes back, then your heart doesn't have a chance to be changed again. Look at verses 7 and 8. It's not just the destruction of evil, but it's a wedding. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright and clean was given to her to wear. That's not new imagery. Israel's often proclaimed as the bride or portrayed as the bride. God's bride in the Old Testament carries that over in the New Testament. The church is called the bride of Christ. And here, what this now for, I don't know about for ladies, but for guys, it seems weird <laughs> to be called the bride of Christ. That just seems kind of a weird thing. Here's the idea that God has invited us into the most intimate relationship with him that we could ever imagine for all of eternity. It's the idea of the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And notice that the garments are given, not earned. The garments are given. What are the garments? The garments are the righteousness of Jesus. He's taken away our filthy rags of sin, and he's clothed us in his righteousness. So our wedding garments are the righteousness of Jesus that we get to wear to the wedding. And so think of it as a wedding feast. And, you know, as Baptists, we do some things good and some things we don't do as good. Don't think of this as uh, being in the fellowship hall with a cup of Kool-Aid and a pimento cheese sandwich. Okay, yes. that's not the kind of wedding supper we're talking about here. We're not talking about people sitting around with people you don't really know, and it's kind of an odd. No, he's talking, in the Jewish life, a wedding lasts sometimes seven days. There's feasting and dancing and praising and, and laughing and telling jokes and all, and the, the whole community comes out. It's a big, big time together. So think of the biggest party that you've ever been to multiplied by a thousand. Get a little bit of an idea of what the wedding supper of the marriage supper of the Lamb is really, really like. Second thing, number one is the celebration. There's worship. Here's the good news for you and I. We can go ahead and celebrate because we know this is coming. We don't have to wait to that day. This is not something that might happen, could happen. It is going to happen. It is just as sure as if it's already done. And so I love the song, you know, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. But man, aren't you glad we can sing and shout on the way? Your greatest pain and your biggest heartache will not matter one day. It's going to be done. Second thing I want you to see is the warrior. Look, at it's in verses 11 through 19. There's a warrior. Now, if you're in a war, you need a warrior. If I'm being held hostage somewhere or another, I want the baddest SWAT team around coming after me. If I get kidnapped on a mission trip somewhere or another, I'm being held hostage for money, I want the best SWAT team available, okay? Y'all can you know, debate all kind of defense budgets and tra what's appropriate training for the military and all that kind of stuff. If I'm being kidnapped and I'm being held hostage, I want the best we got, right? And here's the thing, friend. You've got a warrior coming to bring you home safely. I mean, he's coming, and he will get you home safely. Look at verse 11 of Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. The white horse always represents a conqueror. Jesus came the first time on a donkey. Remember that? Riding humbly on a donkey. The next time he comes coming on a white horse. And I love the way it's, listen to how it says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse and a warrior 
sitting, we're going to talk about what it looks like in a minute, but a warrior sitting on that horse. I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but the thought, that, the image that came into my mind when I read that was of a boxing match. And the, uh, the guy's in the ring, and then the champion comes into the arena, and everything goes dark, and the spotlight hits him. And there he stands, you know, with all of his garb on. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, whenever this, open, this scene opens up like this, somebody needs to say, I mean, here's all the armies of mankind opposed to God, ready to oppose God. The armies, I mean, the heaven opens up, and there sits Jesus on his throne. I just feel like somebody said, they ought to say, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> rumble they're fixing to do, right? <laughs> Look in Revelation 16, 14. There are demonic spirits uh, that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This sounds like the war to end all wars, right? We look back at that at Revelation chapter 16. doesn't happen until we get here to Revelation 17. There's been all manner of battles up leading up to this. If you remember way back in Revelation around 14 or so, um, there's a situation where there's blood spilled for like 180 miles. Bible talks about blood being spilled up to the, to, the, to the bridles and the horses. We don't know if that's symbolic or literally. We don't know if it's splattered blood or, or what. But there's been all manner of wars, all manner of blood spill, all manner of, of horrific kind of battles and things that have taken place. And now all of mankind comes to battle. And it's going to be decisive. It's going to be decisive. The mighty conqueror has come. Look in verse 13 to 16. We'll see what he's talking about. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Notice the description. Now, and don't, don't try to press the imagery too hard here. Don't try to imagine this as a picture. Imagine this as what it's telling us about Jesus. First of all, his robe is dipped in blood. Um, I read one commentator that said this has to be Calvary because the battle hadn't started yet, and so this has to represent the blood that Jesus spilled on Calvary. The next commentator I read said this cannot be Calvary. It has to be the battle at hand. <laughs> Either way is good, right? The blood he spilled on Calvary won the final battle, and whatever blood spilled here, uh, Christ is going to be the winner. I mean, he's not in the battle yet, but it does. See, the thing is, it represents victory. At Calvary and in the future. Also, it says he's called the Word of God. The only place in the Bible where Jesus is called the Word of God. He's called the Word in other places. But this is the only place where that whole phrase is, is, is applied to him. For the Greeks in this day, the Word of God was a kind of a rational principle that, that covered all of life. Uh, for the Hebrews and for the Christians... The Word of God is the expression of God, the visible radiance of God. This is the expression. This is, this, is the, this is God himself shown up, the declaration of God. His eyes are like a blazing fire, which means what? Nothing is hidden from his eye. There's nowhere to hide. Many crowns are on his head. We're just saying crown him with many crowns. Don't, as I said, once again, don't try to press the imagery. It's not talking about he's got a bunch of crowns. He's talking about he is the ultimate ruler over everything. Over every kingdom, over every nation, over every king, he is the ultimate 
king, widespread rule and authority, a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, the power of his word. The power of his words, what the sharp don't try to think of a sword actually doing that. And on his name, uh, on his thigh, was written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in verse 12, it says that there's a name that he has that no one else knows. <laughs> I got tickled. One pastor said, People always, not, not always, but people often when I preach on Revelation 19 said, What do you think that name is? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> it says nobody knows. What are you thinking? I don't know. Only, only Jesus knows. But here's the cool thing about it. That's telling us that there's more to Jesus than our little finite minds can ever imagine. Just way more to him than we can ever think about. Now, the odd thing about this army is there's two odd things about it. One is they're dressed in white. It's an odd camouflage color. <laughs> right? They're dressed in white. And the second odd thing is they have no weapons. They have no weapons. Why? Because Jesus is going to win the battle with the word of his mouth. He's going to be able to speak to her. The Bible says uh, that, 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 that he's going to be the ultimate conqueror. And the, 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 the thing is, all the Christians, I, I think, who's the people that are coming with him, because the Bible says he'll bring, on the second coming, he'll bring uh, all the angels with him. Here's talking about the, the believers dressed in white. Obviously, stands for us. Think about that for a moment. I mean, millions and millions and millions upon angels all the believers of all time riding in white as i said don't press the imagery too hard here but all coming with jesus he's the hero <laughs> he's the leader and we can ride in confident victory why we don't even have to swing a sword he is going to win the battle all by himself or at least on his own authority whatever way he might choose to read us the idea in all this is that we should fall in love with our ultimate hero he has come to rescue you and he's going to get you home safely adrian rogers says if you read revelation you don't come to know and love jesus more you've missed it all you've missed it. this is all about jesus the third thing i'll say is that there's a win there's a win <laughs> he is the ultimate winner we celebrate wins right when I was uh, 12 years old, I, play, I played baseball, and uh, my Uncle Vernon, my dad, was the coach, and they used to always tell us, beginning of every year, guys, we're out here to have fun. Winning's fun. <laughs> now, I do need to say in our day and time that they did not go overboard with that kind of thing. They, you know, they, they didn't fuss at us that if we lost. They didn't embarrass anybody. They didn't scream at anybody or anything like that. They just wanted us to do, to do our best. But all in all, winning's more fun than losing, right? If you're a Christian, you're a winner. You're the winning team. Because your father, because your leader, because your older brother is the winner. Look, if you will, in verses 19 and 20 of the New International Version. Then I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who performed the signs on, the, on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. From a worldly standpoint, all the armies of the world, the best the world can do, the best mankind can assemble together, the most powerful weapons, the most advanced weapons, you know, all the bombs and missiles and everything else, it must have been impressive from a worldly standpoint. From God's standpoint, it's a hopeless cause. They have no chance. They have no hope 
of winning in this war. The Bible says the false prophet and the beast are captured. It doesn't tell us what, how. We don't know if God sends an angel to do that. We don't know if there's a heavenly SWAT team or a heavenly Navy SEAL team or whatever, or if Jesus just speaks the word. But they're captured, they're thrown into the lake of fire, uh, and the glory goes to Jesus, right? The honor goes to Christ. And it says that the beast will come and feast on their flesh. The birds will come and feast on their flesh. Think about think of, Satan always has cheap imitations. Compare this peop, these people advancing against God. The birds eat their flesh as opposed to God's people who have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Which dinner do you want to be a part of? That's not a hard choice, is it, at all? The, the, the starts with the leaders, and it, and it works its way down. And here's the thing. Jesus wins without breaking a sweat. There is serious accountability here for the people who rebel against God, who reject his offer of salvation, who say no, and who oppose him at every turn. There is some serious accountability. I'm not a, a, a Mike Tyson fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I read the other day where Mike Tyson said, social media has made people way too comfortable with disrespecting people, not getting punched in the face for it. <laughs> There's a little truth there, right? Here's the thing. We think we get away with things, or people think they get away with things. They think, oh, I'm just going to go party in hell with my friends. You know, I don't need God. I don't need all that. But guys, outside of Jesus, there's some serious accountability for rebelling against God. And here's the good news for us. This is about celebration. If you're saved, you're part of this. You're saved, you get in on this. If you're saved... There's going to be coming a day when you experience worship and you experience friendship with God, you experience friendship with other people, you experience music, you experience relationship, you experience energy like nothing this world can ever offer us. And we can celebrate that tonight. But until then, but until then, what do we do? We stay faithful. We stay faithful. We're not there yet. That's the final act of the play. We're still, uh, we're, we're still on this side of that. Our victory looks a little bit different tonight. I'm telling you a story and we'll be done. In, in Laos, there's a lady uh, named Neok. And uh, Neok was a, um, is an elementary school teacher. She's taught there for 14 years. The last six years, she was superintendent of her elementary school in her village. And um, this is a place where, you know, animistic religion and voodoo and things like that are going on. And um, another person got mad at her at their school and put a curse on her, like a literal curse. And uh, whether that's real or not, Neok began to experience pain, abdominal pain, um, she believed it was really a curse on her, and she began to look around for ways to, um, you know, get rid of that, kind of get out from under that, get her pain relieved. And um, her pain drove her to talk to some Christians, and the Christians led her to Jesus. And when she gave her heart and life to Jesus, she said the pain went away immediately. She was called in. Um, by the person that was in charge of her local area and by the person in charge of the school system for the whole region there, she was called in and said, if you don't renounce this Western religion, you're going to lose your job. And I love what Nyok said. She said, it's okay to remove me from the director position, but I will not stop believing in God. I have seen God's grace on my life. He did many miraculous things in my life, and I will not deny 
that one who's done so much for me. And she was removed from her job. And here's what I love. She was removed from her job, but she says, I continue to teach wherever I can, and I continue to look for ways to bless my students. We're most like Jesus when we're loving somebody else. Would you stand, please, with the heads bowed and eyes closed? That's what victory looks like in our day. That's what victory in Jesus looks like for us today. It is remaining faithful, looking forward to that great day when Christ comes back and vanquishes all the enemies that are against your joy, that are against your peace, that are against your relationship with God, that cause you to feel overwhelmed, that cause you to struggle with anxiety and depression and rejection and do I fit in and do I belong? The vanquishing, those spiritual enemies are, are, are going to be vanquished one day. What a relief. What a joy to live. No anxiety. No depression. No feelings of rejection. No feeling like I don't belong. No feeling like I don't know where I fit in. No feeling like I don't know what I was made for. None of that. Because we're in perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Thanking you, we have reason to celebrate and worship and rejoice in you. Above every other people group on the earth as Christians, we have reason to celebrate tonight. And I pray you'd make that real to each one of us, Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed, and we're looking around. Lisa, play softly. If you just want to come kneel at the altar and say, thank you, Jesus, feel free.